Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast. That was My Tongue by Carl Alaco. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you both doing? Hello. Hello, Nicole. Hello, Greg. Hello, Carl. That song we just heard was uh, from the... Uh... Oh. Yes, the tape baking. It was from the tape baking. The, the retro. Anyone who cares. So I figured, we, you know, we, I, I baked all these tapes and I have all these tracks down, so we're going to have to play them somewhere. So might as well be here. What's cool about that one 
a little story. When I was in this band Dreamer, we were signed to RCA and stuff, and we had Tommy Matola as our manager. It was kind of a big deal. But again, we um, got dropped. And then this is like around 81. The guy who recorded our who recorded our, our album at, it was Kingdom Sound Studios. It was like this big 24-track studio at the time in Long Island, in Syosset, Long Island. And the guy who owned the studio, this guy Clay, around the same time we lost our deal, he lost his lease and he broke up with his partners. So he took his Neve board and his 24-track studio and put it in the basement of his house in Queens. And he always liked me. And I wasn't doing anything anymore. The band broke up. We were just all despondent. And he goes, you got any songs? I go, yeah, I got a couple of things. That was one of them. So I basically went to his house in Queens down in the basement. The console and the studer were in like this tool room, you know, and then across, you know, like the other side of the house in the basement where the laundry was, he had this long cord, like, and the mic, you know, I'd sit in the, in the, and he talked to the headset, you know, so that's how I recorded these tracks. And he had a bunch of friends. And that one particular friend was, uh, the guy who played sax on that was Richie Kanata, who used to be with Billy Joel. So that was kind of cool. And then it was produced by him and his then, at the time, assistant, this guy, Rich Hilton, who went on to become now Roger's right-hand man. I think the first time, I don't know if you remember, they had that Lynn drum machine. So it's all that oh, yeah. early 80s, like 81, 80. So all that real early. Yeah, kind of programmed yeah, beats. Programmed and stuff. And it's, it's very kind of sterile sounding. We were talking earlier, There's a there was a huge influence of saxophone on all those tracks, you know. All the Britpop stuff coming out of the UK in the early 80s, you know. And right. um, there was a, a band that I loved for years and years and years called Bebop Deluxe. And right. they transitioned over in 1982. Bill Nelson was the leader of the band. He broke up Bebop Deluxe and he created something called Red Noise. And he used saxophone exclusively through that first record. And, you know, every time you turn around, Bowie was doing it in the 80s. Well, Bowie played every- sax. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it was kind of became like a signature sound. And you guys were picking up on it in, uh, oh, yeah. where did you say, in Brooklyn? In Queens. <laughs> in Queens. Personally, I, I never loved the sax. I never liked sax hit solos either. I Springsteen, I get it. And Billy yeah. Joel used it a lot. A lot of those guys yeah. did. And then David Sanborn made, like, he made a whole career out of the early 80s and 90s, you know? Well, the joke of it is, you know, me and my friend were Googling, like, you know, net worths, how rich people are. I think Rod Stewart's worth, like, $300 million and, like, <laughs> Bowie's worth, like, $500 million. You know, it's, like, worth, like, $400 million. <laughs> Kenny G. Kenny G. Really? <laughs> He's loaded, man. What's so, like... That's funny because I grew up listening to like Kenny G and David Koz just because my dad was a big. They were huge, man. They, they were huge, and my dad was a huge saxophone person. So that's yeah. funny that he's worth that much money. Yeah, I guess sax is cool. I think there's some cool sax and some Stone songs. I even think Pink Floyd has some cool sax and some. Another sax. iconic uh, saxophone. Uh... Would be on uh, what was it uh, Baker Street? Baker Street, but that was a great solo for for what it was worth. Typically, you know, it's such a dated sound, you know, to have that saxophone play that solo at that particular point in the track with it, you know, programmed drums and whatnot. But yet, it's it was very listenable. I thought I thought it was a, you were a good cutting solo. Cutting edge, baby. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's right, man. Putting edge back in the 80s That's in right. the basement in Queens. It reminded me of where uh, when Hall & Oates made the transition from kind of Blue-Eyed Soul into the, in the early 80s, they were doing a lot of those kind of program drums like a new wave pop type tracks with a lot of lyric and that's kind of what it reminded me of you were right in the wheelhouse babe we had like certain eras to me like 
The sixties don't sound as dated to me as the eighties do. Yeah. Interesting. 80, even even fashion wise, like you look at people who have been dressed in the sixties, like the old Carnaby mod stuff. It's kind of cool still. But you look at that eighties stuff, it looks atrocious. Anyway, so I don't know. So yeah, so that, that's what that that tune was about. So that's the end of that segment. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? What else do you want to talk about? It's it's fun actually too. So that's over forty years old, right? right so that's, that's, that's forty one years old. That track. So for a forty one year old track, that holds up extremely well, as far as I'm concerned. Well, and it also, I mean, it holds up too because it's the sound that's also happening today. I think we talked about this in previous episodes, but like the more I listen to some of these Spotify playlists, the more I'm like. This is Carl in the 80s. This could have been from the 80s. This could have been from the 70s. Like, <laughs> it really is like nothing new, but it's interesting to hear how they're putting that sound into today's music. Also, pop music has always been driven by vocals. So, I mean, and Carl's vocals have been consistently interesting. And I appreciate that. No longer, yeah. but maybe. maybe well, no, maybe, I think that they, they maybe for then. 40 years, they've been interesting. And so. That's what anyway, you're hearing enough of that. Let's move on. <laughs> What's going on in the world? I uh, posted something on one of the socials last night. I saw I that. Happened What's that upon about? This, I happened upon this documentary, which is a mind-blowing experience. I highly recommend it. It's called Bathtubs Over Broadway. When companies do like industrials, is that what that's about? Exactly. Yeah, uh, and I, I've so, done a few of those. You know, that was a big deal like in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. And um, the documentary was made by one of the principal writers for the David Letterman show. He kind of was like a nerd record collector of these industrial shows. And they would actually create, you know, a small number of uh, vinyl albums to go along with the shows. And the shows would be promoting corporate culture and they would basically be used to turn buyers on to certain product offerings and just surreal stuff. So you got the guy that, you know, wrote the lyrics for Fiddler on the Roof writing about bathroom fixtures, you know, that kind of thing. So, but this documentary was just fascinating because what the guy did was he basically dredged up some of these people that worked in this uh, in industrial off-Broadway type of uh, showmanship. And he brings them back and they actually did a couple of little productions to support what it was like to do these shows on the documentary. This has been 50, 60 years ago for some of these people. And some of these people created a couple hundred of these things. And it was a good living. They were talented as they could be. And so it's really heartwarming to see this guy kind of like, you know, bring some of them back into the public eye, even if it's just for their 15 minutes of fame. So where is this documentary on? It's on Netflix. It's I'm called Bath Thugs Over Broadway. Yeah, it's really neat. Really, really, really neat. Are we featuring a musical artist this week? We do have an artist this we week. Talk, tell us about our artist. So we have an artist called David Brito, and he is working on a project called Arrows. And Arrows' new single is Hello Cheater, and they are featuring the Light Years Explode. So there's a whole story behind that that we'll get into. But let's listen to Hello Cheater and learn a little bit about his publicity company, which is Publicity Nation PR. And then we'll see you guys after. 
This episode features an artist from Publicity Nation PR. Publicity Nation PR is a music, entertainment, and lifestyle public relations and artist development agency based in Nashville, Tennessee. They are an industry leader in music and entertainment publicity, artist development, branding, and commercial projects for artists, entertainers, entrepreneurs, and social influencers. Their drive, dedication, and exemplary work ethic leads the way to their client's success. For more information, go to publicitynation.com. Again, that is publicitynation.com. So that was Arrow's project new single, Hello Cheaters, featuring the Light Years Explode. So David Brillo, does he write these songs? So he does, and he asks artists to come and collaborate with him on them. Well, we did talk to David if you want to learn more about him in our Questions of the Week segment. Okay, did we? And he'll tell, I, I think it's interesting because this guy... Yeah, he'll tell us where he's from. Yeah, so uh, the first question we asked him is, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is David Bridger, and I'm an artist based in Bombay, India, and I have a collaborative project called Arrows, where I invite guest vocalists to come sing on my songs. And I recently released my latest single called Hello Cheeto, which features the Bombay-based punk rock band The Light Years Explode. And the song is written from the perspective of a person who cheats and their conscience talking to them and telling them that, hey, what you're doing is not right and maybe you should reassess things. And yeah, I've been part of the Indian music scene here for like over 10 years and 
been in bands and uh, currently have, my main focus is arrows and uh, my day job also involves the music scene here as a journalist and covering the independent music scene in india writing about new releases and uh, covering festivals and gigs and that kind of stuff so we're starting to spread out, man. So we, we like, are. You know, we like, you know, we were like doing UK stuff, but this is our first uh, India, man. This is, our first, this is our first India Asia continent, like person. There you go. Yeah. So we're on three continents now, guys. Hey. <laughs> oh, and I like the fact that he said in his day job too that he writes for like uh, independent artists and stuff like that. So it's not just the music that he's doing; he's also writing about it too. So maybe like we'd be like those guys, you know? We're, ne- we're we're like, no man, we are huge in Bombay. <laughs> 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 yeah, we can't walk the streets in India, man. <laughs> well, there is. I mean, we have talked about it before. The idea that you know, while this is rather fiercely indie. I mean, when you own a podcast, when you have an RSS feed, you do truly own it, and it is your delivery system. It's worldwide, and people cannot take it away from you. We're global, baby. Global. And we have fans, too, that get disappointed when we don't put our weekly episodes out and ask, where is it? So, I mean, the little things. Let's listen to what else. What else do we ask him? So the other question that we asked him is, what other music artists have inspired your career so far? I've been inspired by a range of artists. I mean, I grew up listening to a lot of rock and roll music, primarily uh, bands like Guns N' Roses, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Oasis. And But I also like jazz and like artists like Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. I love the blues that range from Buddy Guy to B.B. King. And uh, also contemporary pop music and uh, alt rock and stuff like that. So yeah, a lot of artists have influenced me and I can kind of like draw inspiration from each of them through my music and it's been a fun journey and I'm always open to listening to new kinds and new styles of music. You know, you know what I find amazing? I find amazing how like, how American music, we dominate the, the globe, you know, like, don't you think? Yeah, Western music in general, I guess. I know there's but... huge people. I remember like I was dating this girl a long time ago who was from Mexico, right? And she plays me this tape about, um, by this guy named Luis Miguel who's like this huge South American singer. Like he's, he's sold like 800 million records. Like he, right. he rivals the Beatles, you know, but no one's ever heard of him in America, right? And I remember going, oh, he's, how big can he be? No one even knows. And she goes, oh, Carl, you're so, you're so American. You're so just right. sheltered in your medical world. There's a world out there, Carl. You know, so. Yeah, it's true. And she's right. Like, so. I mean, and the idea that we're so, you know, kind of language centric too. So it's like, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's a strange thing for some people to get their heads around that we live our lives, the entirety of our lives, only ever desiring to speak one language. I mean, there are hundreds of languages. I've experienced out there. that because when I when I lived yeah. in Amsterdam for a while, right. right, and I tried at the time they had this Rosetta Stone CD to try right. to learn Dutch and forget it. Yeah. Lietenstraat, and I, I couldn't get it. So anyway, so whenever I'd walk into a place, right, I'd go, "Excuse me, do you speak English?" And they look at me like this: "Look, of course." Meaning, like you, you, you exactly. stupid American. Yeah. You're the only of course, we you're speak the, your language. Of course, we speak your language because you're too lazy to do anything else. But the way they right. would say to me. Of course. You know, like, right. Right. <laughs> it was funny, man. Cause I had that experience a lot in France. You know, there, there, are, pl- there are places in, in France where 
they can speak better English than you can. They just they refuse to do it <laughs> right. because they're not going to. They're not going to be. Uh, they're not going to lower themselves to, down to that standard. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, so we asked one more question too, which is a new-ish one, but it was, "What was your favorite concert and why?" My favorite concert as a performer was when my previous band, The Trip, played at uh, one of India's largest music festivals called Bacardi and Eight Seven Weekender. And it was a great atmosphere, a great crowd, and a really fun time. This was back in 2015. And as an attendee, I think it, there's a toss-up between a few artists. I mean, I saw Guns N' Roses with just Axl Rose here in Bombay. And then I also saw Slash with Miles Kennedy, which were two exceptional concerts. And I was lucky enough to also catch John Mayer in concert, The Smashing Pumpkins, and Noel Gallagher as well. So, I mean, yeah, the the list is quite vast and it's hard to pick one particular concert. But uh, if I had to, it, it, I'd say it would be John Mayer just because I was really up close. And uh, I, mean, I, also, I mean, there's also Coldplay, so I forgot about them. Coldplay was also a great live act. But yeah, I'd have to go with John Mayer just because it was just such an exhilarating performance and uh, thoroughly enjoyed. You know, so now we, got, we, we keep Another hearing John, John Mayer, Mayer, man. John Mayer and then Red Hot Chili Peppers, which we haven't heard Red Hot Chili Bob, Peppers in a while, but... <laughs> Yeah, but John Mayer, no one, he's, this is guy, this guy's in India and talking John Mayer. So this guy's transcendent. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I think what we, one thing we've discovered in almost 100 episodes of 9420 is that if we want a significantly larger audience for this podcast, this needs to be about John Mayer. Every yeah, day. the John Mayer 9420 podcast. The John Mayer, exactly. The John Mayer 9420 podcast. I am going to make the effort to go back and listen to all the albums because I didn't. I know the first, the first record time. he made. Yeah. It was, it was cool, that first record. I had a conversation with John Mayer. I was in a group of people, and we were standing at um, off Sunset in a hotel lobby, and it was after hours, and it was John Mayer, Billy Bob Thornton, and Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. I had absolutely no business being in that circle, but... I ended up in it and, um, you know, seemed like a nice enough guy. Well, what, but, uh, what did you talk about for 10 minutes? Well, I basically listened to what they had to say. What they, they were, say? You know, talking about, well, they were talking about uh, rock and roll. And the reason I got in it was because, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I used to manage an artist that these people were all enamored with, a, a guy named Unknown Henson. That's how I got into the conversation. So, when Billy Bob got done telling the guys about how incredible uh, Unknown Henson was, I was just standing there kind of smiling and thinking to myself, this is surreal. I can't believe I'm standing in this circle. Well, that's pretty good, Greg. So let's see. Yeah, we, we, we just mingle that's with celebrities. That's a good name dropper story, isn't it? Yeah, it drops some names, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, by the way, guys. Yeah. Week 10. How's it going? I don't know, man. I, I don't. I, I look in the mirror. I take them off. I don't see any difference. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Supposed to be a year with this. We'll see. You know, All right. So only... ten weeks down, forty-two to go. But um, but I'll mm. tell you, man. I have this thing where the image you see in the mirror is not the image that really is. I look in the mirror at myself. You know, when I'm combing my hair, or brushing my teeth, and getting ready for the day, and I look, you know, okay in my mind's eye, but then I'd see pictures of myself I'm going, <laughs> wait a minute. That's not how I looked in the mirror. <laughs> Who's this old guy? <laughs> why do you think everyone has these goatees in their sixties? Cause it covers their, the, the mouth line. That's why all rock stars, 
movie stars, when they get older, they have tinted lenses, glasses that covers the eye, your crow's feet and bags, and they have the, the goatee, which covers the, the face lines. So they could, as long as they're not bald and they're not fat, they look kind of okay. And then if you have the neck sag, notice a lot of older guys wear a lot of scarves and stuff. That's, that's to cover the neck sags. So if I put on a scarf, grow a goatee, have tinted lenses, and a baseball cap, I could say I'm 37. You, know? you look like Ricardo Montalban. Right. <laughs> so, and also get a little color too. You got to look a little tan. Well, yeah. now I have been out in the yard. Yeah, I've been. I, I got my tan working good, but yeah, uh, good. I need to it's do something about. Tan. Well, and what works for you, Carl? You still have like all your hair, and it's pretty like well maintained and thick too. Like that works for you as well. Well, I, again, it's it's God. You know, God. Good you know, God man. looks at all of us, right, and says, you know. Let him keep his hair. He, he, he won't, he'd, be a he won't, he'd be a terrible bald. <laughs> anyway, so that's it. So, so we done. I think with this? I think we're done with this episode. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> you know, Another up. weird one in the books. All right, everyone. Before we go, let's hear from our unofficial sponsor, Bongo Java. This episode is officially unofficially sponsored by Bongo Java. Bongo Java, the birthplace of the 9420 podcast. While Bongo Java got its start a year earlier than 9420 in 1993, in 1994, Carl and Greg's relationship got started. And in 2020, Carl and Greg visited Bongo Java to create this podcast that you listen to. For more information on Bongo Java, go to bongojava.com. All right, so let's get on out of this episode. Thanks so much for listening. For everything that we spoke about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to you all later.